need to feed my spirit. I was once a king. You are a specter from the gods. Walk with me. All right, you're listening to Wait You Were Mormon with Devin Brown. I'm your host, Devin Brown. And for episode 23, we've got the very lovely Preston Hyde. He opens up about his early life in Idaho, his mission to Seattle, and the events that led to his early return, and much, much more. Once again, if you haven't already, please be sure to check out www.wayyouwermormon.com for access to all of the previous episodes, as well as all of my social links. And while you're there, why not share a favorite episode with a family member or friend? That's enough of me. Enjoy the episode. So just kind of jumping into it, uh, can you tell us a little about yourself? Who are you? Where are you from? So my name is uh, Preston Hyde. Um, I'm from a small town just outside of Boise, Idaho, and I grew up in the church. have really fond memories of, of growing up. Um, it was a, a huge part of my life. Um, although I wouldn't say I was super active uh, as a kid, um, but for whatever reason, I always, uh, I always knew that there would be a high possibility of me serving a mission, and it was just uh, a matter of time. And... But, you know, I, I think I was uh, otherwise just a, a pretty normal kid. You know, I, uh, I grew up uh, playing sports mostly. And um, around my junior year of high school, my family moved from the Boise area to uh, a smaller town just outside of Twin Falls. So I, I spent... Uh, most of my adolescence uh, in Boise and then just uh, the last part of my high school years in Twin Falls. Um, But yeah, uh, otherwise uh, uh, loved going to seminary. Uh, Seminary was a a fun time for me. Uh, Transferring high schools made it a little bit more difficult to attend seminary, but uh, I went to seminary graduation and participated in that. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, that's, that's a little bit of, of my background. Uh, mm-hmm. just, uh, Idaho bred country boy, I guess you could, uh, is what you could call me. So now you mentioned, um, like not you being a little less than active, uh, when you were younger. Um, so was that, the seminary time or when did you kind of start becoming a little more active that you actually went to seminary so the reason why i say less active is because uh uh, i guess it wasn't that i was less active it just was that like i wasn't like super gung-ho uh family prayers and family scripture study really wasn't a thing uh family home evening only happened occasionally and 
Um, I never really could say that I had a testimony mm -hmm. uh, of the church growing up. And it was just something that I did. And, uh, um, just knew that, uh, there were a lot of people in the church and, um, uh, that's just how, uh, my life was supposed to be is just, uh, growing up in the church, serving a mission and getting married in the temple. So, um, and so that's, that's kind of why I mean less active. Um, but, um, what happened, uh, when just before my family moved to twin falls, uh, I remember coming across uh, uh, information regarding the book of Abraham. And so I remember that being like uh, kind of a shock, um, like, wow, like uh, the ancient papyri that um, Joseph Smith, you know, supposedly translated was uh, actually found and didn't have anything to do with the facsimiles or uh, the the Book of Abraham at all. So I remember that being like kind of my first like uh, doubt, I guess you could say. But um, I I ended up shelving that and uh, not really worrying about it too much. Um, but uh, so that that did happen. But other than that, um, I went to church mostly every Sunday. And, uh, you know, participated in Boy Scouts and, you know, was ordained uh, deacon, teacher, priest, and then uh, eventually uh, uh, an elder. So, hmm. yeah. So when you um, decided to serve the mission ultimately, was it um, because of, uh, like, did you have a spiritual experience, experience kind of confirming um, the decision to serve, was there pressure from within the family or outside of the family to serve, or was it just to kind of fulfill that, right. that expectation? No, um, my family was really cool. Um, they, they understood that missions aren't for everybody. And so there really wasn't a lot of pressure from my family and, um, I don't know. So they, they were kind of okay with me not serving a mission. And for whatever reason, I think they were somewhat shocked um, when I, I told them that I had decided to serve a mission. But um, what actually had happened was I uh, ended up moving out of my parents' house um, like two weeks after I graduated. And I went and worked on a family cattle ranch down in Utah and uh, I did that for a summer, but um, I think my intentions were is that uh, I just wanted to do something positive mm. and I, I just wanted to serve others and kind of make my family proud. but. Um, it really wasn't on the premise of me knowing the church was true or me wanting to go out and teach and baptize uh, people. Um, and uh, unfortunate, unfortunately for me, um, just serving people and 
doing a good thing and making people proud uh, was not what missions entirely entailed. And mm-hmm. I, I came to, to realize that uh, mission presidents have an entirely different agenda than what missionaries may come out with, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um... and mission presidents, I should say, like the church. The church in general not just mm-hmm. mission presidents so okay. um where uh, did you end up serving so i ended up serving in the washington seattle mission and uh uh it is now dissolved and become part of two different missions so um the mission that i served in doesn't actually exist anymore but um yeah, our mission included uh, all of the city of Seattle and um, the SeaTac area and uh, all the way up to Bothell and as far east as uh, North Bend. So um, my mission, it was sometimes missionaries got to see like what full city life missionary was and but I, I mean you could also get called to the countryside so um it was it was kind of an even mix of that in my mission so mm-hmm. yeah um from my in my experience a lot of those who served in washington were kind of naughty missionaries i would say were you yeah. were you one of these kind of naughty missionaries, Preston, or were you very by the book, uh, zealous, exact obedience? It's it's funny that you ask ask this because uh, I was talking to my brother in law's brother, and he had actually served in the Tacoma mission, which it was directly under the Seattle mission at the time. And he served there just before I got to Seattle. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was telling me all sorts of stories and rumors about uh, how uh, disobedient and crazy missionaries in Seattle uh, got to be. Um, And having served there, um, I really understand that. Um, As for me... um, about the first four and a half months, I was I was pretty uh, staunch um, on the rules and a stickler for the rules. But um, as time wore on, um, it just kind of faded away, mm-hmm. and uh, that happened for uh, a few different reasons. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, did the mission like meet your expectations? at first or was it a vastly different experience than you imagined it was it was vastly different um so my mission president was uh elder yunwan che um -hmm. he's actually a member of the 70 and uh he was the mission president that actually got called in to like clean everything up so Mm -hmm. um and it made sense you know they're uh he's a general authority from South Korea and yeah, his, uh, uh, ideology and and method of, uh, running the mission was, was very strict. And, 
uh, we had rules upon rules and rules that regulated other rules and rules mm -hmm. that contradicted other rules. And mm -hmm. it was just kind of a, uh, a shock at first. And I actually remember the first day, like it was yesterday, uh, you know, back then, uh, we had, uh, like transfer meetings. I don't know if you guys had those where they'd call all of you guys together or the people who were getting transferred. Yeah, I remember one giant seeing that in like the district. I don't know if you had that, if that was out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we just got the yeah. phone calls like our, um, the zone leaders would call the district leader and then the district leader would like call everybody in individually like within right. the district. But that would have been really cool, like going and being able to see yeah. everybody. Because no. we didn't get to see everybody unless it was like a big Zoom conference or something. Right. No, it was it was really cool in my mission. We, uh, if you were getting transferred, they call you and say, "Hey, uh, pack your bags. You're going to the transfer meeting tomorrow." And what they would do is they would uh, um, sit everybody down in a chapel and they'd project everybody's new companions and new areas on a projector. And uh, so that was kind of cool. Um, and all the missionaries who were getting uh, transferred would I either laugh or cry on who their next companion was or who their next or what where their next area was. But um, and that was also the time that they would introduce uh, new missionaries into the mission. Mm. And uh, so I remember my first transfer meeting when they paired me up with my trainer. It was it was pretty intense. Uh, they didn't let elders or sisters like sit, sit next to each other. Uh, sisters were on one side and uh, most of the elders would sit on, uh, sit in the middle. And I remember uh, my mission president walking in with his wife and uh, shaking all of our hands. You know, we kind of sat up in the, uh, the choir seats. So, um, and then the rest of the mission was uh, in the pews, but, uh, I remember his wife sat down and then he sat down and everybody was silent. And, uh, I remember he stood up and then everybody in the congregation stood up, stood up in unison and all the elders buttoned their suit coats and put their hands behind their backs. And when I saw that, I was like, Oh crap. Like, what did I get myself into? And, uh, and then they ended up pairing me up with my trainer and, uh, and then I realized how, like how strict and how difficult, like my mission was going to be, uh, just from that standpoint, I didn't at that time, didn't even, uh, experience what, uh, the mission life was like in Seattle. And that was an entirely different challenge, uh, aside from, uh, just dealing with how the mission was run. So what were uh, some of like the craziest rules? Cause it sounds like there were just some pretty unique to the mission oh, rules that you had to follow. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the most common one that people ask about is like, what was music like? And I think we were only allowed to listen to Motab and we could listen to other bands, but as long as they sang hymns. Mm. So it was pretty strict on the music, uh, pretty strict on like what we had to do with our time. 
uh, strict on like what we could do for workouts, uh, strict on uh, how many potential investigators we'd have to see, uh, how many members we'd have to go visit, how many hours a day that we would have to track. Mm. So we were required to track on minimum of two hours a day. Mm. And um, our mission president called that like special finding time or whatever, but I just remember uh, tracting just being the most dreadful thing. And uh, another weird rule that we had is we couldn't have like workout equipment in our apartments. Mm. We could have, uh, it was so weird, like we could have dumbbells, but uh, we couldn't have like a workout bench for whatever reason. And uh, my companion and I, or one of my companions and I actually found one and uh, uh, when that rule came out. And uh, so we actually hid our bench uh, from our cell leaders and our uh, district leaders. We like shoved it inside of a closet when they come over mm. just so that we wouldn't have to get rid of it. But um, just just crazy things like that. And, um, and there was just a lot of pressure to be exactly obedient. And uh, I just remember like just the feeling if if i wasn't exactly obedient then you know i wouldn't have the spirit to be with me or you know i wouldn't be able to teach effectively or or do any of the things that missionaries would do so mm -hmm. uh yeah i don't know if that kind of gives you an idea of how how strict my mission was oh yeah absolutely like um it's just it was making me think of mine it just felt way more like lax in in comparison um, right. like I, I served in Ghana and West Africa. And so I was thinking, I was listening to you um, talk about the weights and like not being able to have weights and, um, like exercise was pretty encouraged, but like, um, like African guys would make their own gym equipment out of like right. cement and like different things like that. And in cans or like water gallons of water jugs like that. Um, and it's just like, man, I just, I don't think I could have done like a stateside mission and, and I and I used to like it was almost like a mini testimony to me like a testimony builder sometimes like oh god knew exactly what I needed and like sent me gone is exactly where I'm supposed to be which is it's crazy in hindsight but did you ever feel like were you happy that you were called to Seattle like did you feel um any oh. sort of like animosity like I wish I had gone to some other place no I mean uh I actually have a roommate he uh he served his mission in the in the Philippines and uh, uh he's told he's told me like stories that is uh, that have ha happened to him and uh looking back I compare like his experience versus mine and I'm like oh man I would have killed to go serve in the Philippines you know uh just having a, a rough uh, life, a mission life to live, like physically, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, just with uh, what they could afford and, and what was available to them. Um, uh, he was telling me a lot of times uh, that they didn't actually have like running water or like toilets and, um, uh, you know, me being the country person that I am, I'm like, oh, like, I would have, like, loved to experience that. But uh, instead, 
you know, I got sent to Seattle, you know, where we lived in very nice apartments and, uh, it was more of a mental and intellectual battle than it was, you know, dealing with the elements or, uh, dealing with, uh, you know, kind of, uh, mother nature as you would in like Africa or, you know, like the Philippines. Mm. And, uh, I think being out there, um, during that time, I, I may have had a little animosity, like, oh, like, why, why am I getting sent to a place that's so close to home? Or, you know, like, I'm really not into this, like, city kind of lifestyle, you know? And so while I was there, I, I kind of had some animosity about that. But looking back, um, I think what happened to me in Seattle has definitely, like, molded my faith you could say into what it is today. So looking back at it, I'm, I'm kind of more appreciative of mm -hmm. that. So, um, you had mentioned, um, when you first got out, um, being pretty, pretty steadfast and, you know, that, that greeny spirit and energy. Um, but for a few different reasons that kind of dissipated, um, can you get into what some of those reasons were? Yeah. Um, so I think starting, um, there's just kind of this vibe um, that I had that if I wasn't exactly obedient to every single mission rule, then uh, I couldn't like teach properly or I couldn't, uh, you know, have the spirit with me. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there were two types of missionaries in my mission. There were the missionaries who tried super hard uh, and I don't know, basically kissed the ass of my mission president and the other missionaries there. Mm -hmm. And, or there were the missionaries who kind of went out and did their own thing and, uh, didn't necessarily worry about how strict the mission was and kind of let a lot more things slip. Mm -hmm. Um, so at the first four and a half months of my mission, I, uh, remember being, uh, like pretty, pretty staunch with the rules. And I think that's just because of the missionaries that I was around. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the missionaries I, I was around were pretty obedient and um, nothing against them. I mean, they were just trying to do the best that they could, but uh, I think it was, yeah, about four and a half months in when I went on an exchange with an elder that uh, I realized like, Oh crap. Like, or, uh, there's actually like a normal person in my mission, you know, somebody who like thinks all these rules are bogus and, you know, isn't just trying to, uh, you know, kiss the ass of our leaders or, um, there's just more so, uh, out there for his own reasons and not really anyone else's. So, mm. um, so yeah, about four and a half months in, I, I started getting a little bit more lax with the rules. And I just remember, you know, that, you know, oh shoot, like even if I break a rule, like it's not going to prevent me from having the spirit, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was qu quite a, quite a help for me. Um, you know, I, uh, uh, listened to a lot of uh, music that was not approved and, it's not like I listened to terrible stuff, but I, I definitely 
broke out the the Christian rock and uh, uh, they even had like Christian rap and uh, Christian uh, uh, like dubstep. Mm. So I, I listened to that too. And occasionally when I would work out, you know, if my companion was cool with it, we'd listen to Eminem or uh, other rap music like that, you know? Mm. So uh, I remember uh, when it, life became like that, it, it definitely eased a lot of stress and I could just relax, sit back and, you know, mm. not be so uptight about things. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what happened there. Mm. Um, oh, and one, one thing I forgot, um, uh, I also did watch a lot of movies on mm. my mission. Yeah. And that, that was a huge no, no, um, I watched over a hundred movies mm. and I got busted for one and mm. it was like big, big hero six. Okay. So just, just a Disney movie yeah, and like not uh, even a terrible, not even a terrible movie. Mm. And, uh, we had watched way worse movies than that. Like I remember, uh, going on exchange with a Polynesian zone leader of mine and Polynesians were the best, but I remember watching like Ted two with him and, listening to all sorts of rap music and so it was just a just a fun time uh but uh, i got busted for watching big hero six and it was like hell froze over you know mm -hmm. we had a district meeting with the zone leaders uh the assistants uh the mission president and his wife and they interviewed every single one of us because it, it wasn't just me and my zone leader watching movies. It was other missionaries too, mm. but man, they, they just lit into us about watching movies. And I, I think about if only they found out about the other 99 movies that I watched yeah. and what those movies actually were. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, oh, I, I get a good laugh about that. Um, I did go swimming one time, uh, just on, uh, Lake Washington. So mm -hmm. that was pretty fun. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I, I didn't really uh, break any other rules. Um, I joke that, you know, if I could go back, you know, I'd break even more and probably kiss a girl or uh, even better, like a sister missionary. Um, so I, mean, I don't know. I've heard, like, I had a buddy of mine um, from my home ward. I, I think he went to Tacoma. I think that was uh, the mission, but he was, was he was in Washington, and like apparently, like quite a few elders and sisters had entanglements and were driving yeah. long distances and, and doing all sorts yeah. of crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. So, I uh, I know my my MTC companion actually got sent home for kissing a girl, and I I can count on both hands uh, how many other missionaries that I knew at least that got caught doing that uh, so i don't know uh, if i could go back i wish I, I wish i was one of those guys uh i feel like that would have been like the the climax of my mission would <laughs> yeah. be doing something like that but <laughs> but be... i don't know i just i just got a thrill out of uh you know breaking the rules every now and then mm -hmm. so yeah most of the time like i i had watched a couple movies but it was generally with um like against my will i would say like i was i didn't oh, feel really? happy about it yeah like another companion kind of like 
forced me into it. Like we're gonna go to such and such house and they 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 have some ninja movie on or something like that uh, that we end up watching or a, a soccer match is on that night and it's like oh well we won't be able to teach anyone anyway so we might as well uh, go watch as well but um, if I could go back I would be more lax for sure you know what I mean yeah like not have all that guilt and just like I used to think I used to feel like a little better than like the Peace Corps people we would see like man we're really yeah we're really experiencing Ghana and these people like aren't and then totally naive like we barely experienced we barely experienced Ghana like these other people got the way richer vaster experience but um about would you say overall your mission was a a positive experience for you or you know I I honestly think about my mission every day and there are aspects of my mission, um, positive aspects, um, uh, that I, I still have to this day. And, uh, I don't think I'll ever be able to like really deny, uh, the positive things that my mission did for me. But, um, there was also some really, uh, harsh negatives about the mission that I also, can't forget and uh, definitely uh, have influenced what my involvement in, in the church is. So mm. I would say probably probably about an even half and half, mm. uh, positive and negative. Um, but yeah. Um, about how long um, until after your mission that you started to like look into the history of the church or begin um, that process of, of, of exiting? So here's, here's what kind of makes my story kind of crazy is um, I had actually started looking into stuff during my mission. Mm-hmm. And I actually did not finish my mission. I only served uh, around 16 months uh, because of uh, issues with the church. Mm-hmm. And um, I think probably... Uh, the biggest catalyst was um, the 2015 LGBT policy mm-hmm. uh, that came out. And uh, I was actually serving on right on Capitol Hill, um, the most densely populated uh, uh, LGBT community uh, in the country, as far as I'm concerned. And I just remember it, it wasn't just the, the community um that was uh, kind of hurt by that, but it was also members of the church too. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was kind of crazy because we'd go into like ward council meetings and uh, even the, the members and the, uh, the bishop that we had in that ward was really like anti-policy uh, of that policy. They did, they did not like that policy at all. And it's because they had family and friends who are LGBT and, mm-hmm. I mean, how would you feel if, if, if the church you loved and belonged to ousted your, uh, your family member just because of their sexual orientation, you know? Mm-hmm. And what had actually uh, started me on my quest to learning more about issues with, with the church is uh, my companion and I were actually serving in North Seattle and... Mm-hmm. 
we went to a, a member meal with uh, our, uh, it was not the stake president, but uh, a member of the stake presidency. And uh, his wife was a seminary teacher. I don't think she was paid um, by the church education system, but I think it was more of just a calling mm. um, because there, there weren't a lot of LDS youth in the city of Seattle. Mm. Um, if there were a lot of LDS youth, they'd be in the outskirts. Mm. But I remember in that member meal, um, you know, she just asked us, you know, like, Hey, like, what do you think of this policy and how do you make sense of it? And, um, I wasn't the type of missionary that would be quick to defend the church or, uh, just kind of pull something out of my ass and like, yeah, here's, here's why we have the policy. I was kind of, uh, I didn't know too much about the policy at the time. And, uh, you know, I, I told her, I was like, all right, I'll do my part and I'll do a little bit more research and study about this policy and figure out what it's all about. And, uh, what I realized is that, uh, the policy, um, just did not line up with what I thought were the values of the church, um, didn't line up with my values. And, uh, if anyone is a close friend of mine, uh, didn't line up with their values either. And so I, uh, you know, that, that really kind of, struck me as kind of one of the big catalysts down the rabbit hole, I guess you could say. So, um, yeah, that was probably, uh, the main thing that, that, uh, got me into that. Um, another thing that happened to me, uh, actually the same transfer. So, um, I guess you could say it was, uh, inspiration, uh, in missionary terms, but I kind of laugh about that, but, uh, we actually met a Freemason and he was, he was kind of decked out. He had like Masonic rings, uh, Masonic, uh, necklaces on. And we were at a bus stop and, uh, I remember he, he approached us. He's like, Hey, I'm a Freemason, you know, uh, we're cousins with you guys. And I'm like, what? My cousins. I don't even know anything about Freemasonry. Like, and so I was like, huh, well, I guess I'm going to research that when I got to the computer lab, you know? Mm. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that's, that's what I did. And, uh, there weren't a lot of resources, um, available to us as missionaries. Mm. Um, you know, like you're, you're allotted like the, the four book set that they give you. There's like three, two books that are just tiny pamphlets about church history. And then Jesus, the Christ by, uh, uh I forgot what that author's name was. It's the Talmadge. Uh, James, Talmadge. Mm. Talmadge was the guy. Uh, that was the, like the quad set that they gave us. Mm. Um, in addition to preach my gospel and then, uh, the standard works. But, um, I, I just kind of came to a point where like, I gotta like research about this stuff because there's people that are struggling, you know? Uh, and I realized like, there's a lot of people that aren't members of the church and like, I, I want to find out like why people aren't just flocking to the font, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there's gotta be more to it than just people are prideful or 
you know, they just are uninformed or, uh, you know, uh, influenced by Satan. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, deep down inside, I knew that there was more to it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that's what I did. Uh, I, I went on, I got in, uh, on the computer, uh, and uh, we actually, for most of my companions, we went to the computer lab every day, uh, just cause we had nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we'd do that from like 10 to 12. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'd go to the computer lab and the first thing I'd do, uh, is start researching this stuff. So, uh, I became quite familiar with, uh, Freemasonry and its relationship, uh, to the endowment and, uh, uh, from there, uh, I came across the CES letter, and uh, I'd also watched um, some Mormon stories podcasts. Um, one in particular that was with a couple that actually lived not too far away from my mission. And um, coming across Mormon stories podcasts with John DeLynn was actually kind of a goldmine, mm. in my opinion, because uh, here I was like, Oh crap. Like there's a lot of issues with church history, doctrine and, uh, policy and leadership. And, uh, it it was just kind of a relief to know that I wasn't the only one. Mm -hmm. And, um, so yeah. Um, you know, I just, uh, over time just, uh, kept, uh, studying about a lot of the, aspects, different aspects of, uh, church history that weren't well known, uh, read a lot about, uh, criticism of the book of Mormon mm-hmm. and, uh, obviously the book of Abraham came up again, uh, one of my first doubts and, um, yeah. And, uh, it was kind of a huge ordeal for me on my mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went through like 15 interviews with my mission president and, it was a pretty dark time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was going to ask if it was um, difficult to like actually leave the mission. Cause I know a lot of times they do everything in their power yeah. to, you know, keep you there or try to persuade you. Right. Um, so you mentioned uh, how many uh, interviews did you have to go through? Oh, it's like 15 interviews oh. um, uh, with my mission president, uh, and or uh i remember meeting up a lot with district leaders and zone leaders so i mean i i don't know if i can really even put a number on that but um yeah i think a lot of it was geared towards trying to solve my concerns or trying to uh, get me to stay um but it it just came to a point to where i realized like i'm not utilizing my money very well Mm. um, for what I had originally intended it to be used for. I wasn't using my time very well. Um, And and I had companions that wanted to do missionary work. You know, they wanted to get out and teach and find and baptize. And, you know, I just, I just could not, it got to a point where like, I I didn't want to do anything besides study and, Mm it wasn't just, you know, criticisms of Mormonism, you know, uh, studied a lot of preach my gospel, um, 
And not that I claim to be like a biblical scholar, but I remember going through the, the standard works like four times on my mission, just searching for answers, any kind of answer that would, uh, you know, influence me to stay or tell me that uh, full fellowship in the church would be the correct path. And, and unfortunately for me, it, it never came, you know, and uh, I knew it would potentially be difficult on my family. And so I remember like, you know, I, I couldn't just pull the plug, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have to prepare my family like mentally uh, for this ordeal. So I remember emailing my mom and telling her about what I was going through and what I was thinking about doing. And then about a month after, you know, letting my family know what was going on and preparing them for what, 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 what I knew was an inevitable, inevitably about to happen, mm-hmm. um, in me coming home early. So about a month after that, you know, I, sat down with my mission president and I told him, Hey, like, just, just find me a plane ticket or I'll get my own. And he was like, all right. And so, yeah, I went home and I think, uh, when I got home, uh, there was kind of this awkward tension with my family. You know, I could tell my dad was a little disappointed and, and, and at, at the time I don't think he quite fully understood, but, um, yeah, it was just, uh, it was tough, you know, yeah. it was tough. Mm-hmm. Um, were you still going to church at that time? Yeah, so um, I, I actually should tell you this story, and uh, I laugh about this today, but um, uh, when I got to the airport um, to fly home, uh, you know, like your your mission president gives you your, your release papers, right? Mm-hmm. And so he handed me like a good size envelope and, uh, he forgot to seal it, which I I thought was, was odd. Um, but I remember, um, getting to, uh, my gate at the airport and, uh, sitting down in the seat to, you know, to wait to board the plane and, um, all of the letters and stuff that were inside this large envelope, you know, fell out onto the floor and, uh, I noticed there were um, three letters in there and a couple other things, but uh, one of the letters was addressed to my parents. One of the letters was addressed to my stake president back home. And another letter was addressed to me. And again, I find this odd, but none of the envelopes were sealed. Mm. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to read them all. So uh, I, I, I go through them one by one, and uh, it's kind of shocking. Uh, I, I read the one uh, to me, and I can't remember exactly what they said verbatim. And I kind of wish I, I took pictures of these just for safekeeping. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess I just wasn't thinking about it at the time. But, yeah, no, it was crazy. Uh, uh, the letter addressed to me was, like, really encouraging, you know, uh, giving me advice on, you know, not just like spiritual matters, but, you know, educational and uh, financial and mental uh, matters. And so I appreciated that, you know, uh, 
very open to uh, advice and in that kind of way. And uh, of course, he he counseled me on my spirituality and um, what I should do there. And um, the letter to my parents was uh, uh, vaguely similar. Um, and he may have adjusted it to giving them advice and and how to uh, approach the whole situation and uh, you know uh, what I might be going through at the uh, at the time and how they could best help me and and so I, I appreciated appreciated that letter too to my parents is very positive and and warming but uh, what he wrote to my stake president was just sinister uh he claimed that i had been overtaken by satan and had been uh diving into materials that were not approved of, of by the church which was true none of the materials mm-hmm. i was reading was were approved by the church but uh he claimed that and um you know a couple of, of other things and that you know, I, I may had been, uh, uh, he claimed that I may have been sinning and not uh, been forthright and upright about it. And that was the real reason why I was going home. Mm. And so I was just kind of shocked, like, dude, how can you, uh, how can you be so warm and uplifting in these other two letters addressed to me and my family, but just be so critical and, uh, I don't know. I don't even have a word to describe it, but it was just kind of crazy mm-hmm. what he sent to my stake president. And uh, so what I actually did is I went through his letter to my stake president and I underlined everything that I thought was untrue or uh, an exaggeration. And I drew arrows uh, to the bottom of the letter and to the back of the letter, uh, giving my explanation and my side of the story and what I thought was truth and what I thought was falsehood. And, and so I, I put all the uh, letters back in their envelopes and I sealed them up and I put them back in the bigger envelope. And, uh, I was like, it's going to be pretty fun when I get to watch my stake president open up this letter. (laughs) And it, it was, it was, it was a time. It looked like, it looked like my mission president had just been hit with a baseball bat. He did not know what to think. It was, it was, it was a time. It was definitely a time to remember. So, yeah. oh, man, like, um, did you like? How were you received by like your ward and stake? Like, were people kind of oh, gossipy you know, and cold, or was it was everything I, normal? I actually. I came home from my mission and I went straight and active. Okay. Like I, I didn't, I didn't even give a homecoming talk. So I think I had met with, uh, it was just my stake president and my bishop who, who I had met with. And, uh, my bishops changed while I was out there and, um, I was pretty good friends with uh, my new bishop. And so, uh, I maintained good relationships with him, but, uh, my stake president, I, I just could not connect with. And it just got to a point where, like, I'm not going to talk to this guy anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to be left alone. I just want to walk away in silence. And I, at the time, my desire was to uh, further my studies and, and validate a lot of my concerns. Mm-hmm. So 
um, I'd read the CES letter uh, on my mission and uh, I didn't think the CES letter was like the end all be all, but uh, I came home and read uh, Rough Stone Rolling by Richard Bushman. And uh, that book was definitely uh, uh, validating and uh, just kind of uh, uh, gave me a sense of bliss in, mm. in that, you know, what I did uh, had merit, yeah. you know. Uh, I just wasn't coming home because I didn't like the mission or, you know, that, you know, I just, you know, didn't want to be there anymore. You know, um, the reasons why I left had had merit and weren't because of nothing. So I'm curious, like in your studies, like what you found to be like the biggest betrayal to you personally Mm -hmm. and then also like just the most fascinating just from a a history like point of view i think uh right from the get-go when uh richard bushman talks about uh the upbringing of joseph smith and uh the financial struggles that his family went through and how that influenced his uh his treasure seeking ordeals um was kind of eye-opening to me and I was like wow well like it would make sense why you know they would you know have this treasure seeking fantasies because they poor they were poor and they they longed for uh wealth and uh it would make sense why you know Joseph Smith would um essentially go through all the trouble that he did to attain uh prominence and, uh, and fame. Uh, and I, I think that's what kind of drove Joseph Smith. Um, another thing that was, uh, pretty, uh, alarming to me was studying about, uh, polyandry mm-hmm. and how, um, actually, uh, when Joseph Smith sent Orson Hyde away on a mission, he ended up marrying his wife, Miranda Hyde. And it's kind of crazy to me because, uh, you know, Orson Hyde is, you know, not uh, my direct descendant, but um, uh, he was cousins of like my fifth great grandfather. But um, I remember that being like, a like, wow, like, mm. what's that all about, you know? Mm. And of course, uh, everything that entailed polygamy and, um, and then you get into things about the Book of Mormon and how it was translated and, um, a lot of the literature that was floating around in that time period, um, you know, that may have influenced, um, the production of, of the Book of Mormon mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, how the Book of Mormon wasn't just a production of Joseph Smith, you know, he had lots of peers and family members, you know, around him during that time that could have also definitely influenced the production of the Book of Mormon as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, those are just some of the main ones. Um, and of course, you know, you can go on and on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. I can talk to you till you're blue in your face mm-hmm. about, you know, ir- irregularities and history and uh, uh, leadership at the time. And, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, the 
black priesthood ban uh, mm-hmm. until 1978. You know, there's just so many things, and uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that um, just kind of fascinates you? Because um, you just strike me as like a, a history buff, just in general. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, even uh, someone who's never Mormon can find a lot of Mormon history to be fascinating and just it's interesting where Mormonism pops up where you would least you know expect to find it um is there anything you've come across that just like well wow like I never knew that and this is very fascinating yeah um I think uh one of the first things uh like I was talking about like Freemasonry Mm -hmm. um you know when you go through the endowment session for the first time you know obviously you think it's it's a little odd you know anyone who goes through is is a little weirded out and Mm. if they're not in my opinion they're just weird you Mm. know um but uh you know i i I just remember not exactly knowing where a lot of that stuff came from Mm. and then finally realizing that a lot of it was connected with free free uh masonic uh you know signs and tokens and uh clothing and it was just kind of baffling to me it's like how is this not common knowledge mm-hmm. <laughs> like come on like so i mean that that was definitely one that kind of blew my mind but that uh, uh that freemason this... that you met on your mission did he know like the the sign like the signs and tokens of the temple and stuff and like trying well, to show so, them to you guys. I remember we we actually rode the bus with him, and I remember asking him about that. I'm like, "Hey, uh, I'm telling me like what the similarities are," and he's like, "Sorry, man, uh, our stuff is secret. I can't tell you." Mm. And I was like, "Well, okay, that makes sense. You know, our stuff is secret too, and I can't tell you either." So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So that was also part of that uh, experience that I didn't mention, but yeah. Mm. Um, where would you kind of consider yourself now? Like, are you, are you spiritual in any way? Um, are you still kind of um, processing things? So, you know, my spirituality, um, has definitely evolved since I've been home. You know, I I went from being, uh, a staunch Christian Mormon, uh, believer to, more of just a Christian believer in that the church is a vessel to coming home from my mission and being borderline, uh, atheist. Mm-hmm. And, um, it wasn't until, so after my mission, um, I was home for roughly around eight months and kind of going through a depressing time. And, uh, I finally was like, you know, I'm done with this. And, my uncle had offered to let me go stay with him in uh, Atlanta, actually. And so I moved down to Atlanta uh, not too long after my mission. And um, I actually got associated with some church members down there. And um, again, I wasn't really active at all. But uh, I just remember uh, kind of coming to a sense of uh, like, you know, the church does do good things. Mm-hmm. 
you know, for a lot of people, it provides a sense of community, immediate friendships, um, basically. And, you know, if, if you're a YSA age person like me, you can basically go to uh, any YSA ward. And, uh, you know, if you're sociable enough, you can walk out of there with a few new friends. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it, so for those reasons, uh, I feel like the church does provide a lot of good for people. And, uh, so that's what I came to realize. And so I, I'm, I actually haven't removed my records from the church. Um, I'm still a member mm-hmm. and, uh, for a couple of reasons, you know, uh, I, I feel like my family would be kind of torn if I'd removed, if I removed my records. Uh, and so I, I don't want to, I guess for the sake of my family relationships, I don't want to tarnish anything. Um, but also, you know, I, I actually do take part in a lot of the service opportunities that the church has to offer. And, you know, while I, I may not uh, agree or believe in most of what the church teaches, I can at least, you know, be part of a good community and, and have good friends. Um, so nowadays, I, I would definitely consider myself uh, agnostic. Um, I would like to believe that there's a supreme creator. Mm. I don't actually know who that Supreme creator is or if it's a he or a she or an it, I don't know. Um, I, I don't deny that Christ, Jesus Christ could have been a real person. I mean, cause you know, we at least have a Jerusalem, you know, as evidence of mm-hmm. uh, his life. But as far as him performing miracles or becoming or being the son of God, I, I just don't know. But, um, I definitely, uh, since moving back from Georgia, I, I've come to like re harness and appreciation for the moral teachings of Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, I see value in trying to apply those to relationships with others, Mm -hmm. but, uh, definitely still on more of a agnostic level. Mm. Um, You mentioned kind of going through a dark period, which is, of course, very natural after, you know, discovering all of these things about the church. Um, But how would you say life has been for you overall since, like, making that decision? Um, I feel like it's it's been bittersweet. Um, You know, obviously, uh, being in a predominantly LDS area, you know, people aren't really used to encountering people like me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and if there are people like me, they typically aren't involved in the church in any shape, way, or form. Um, so I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's, I don't know, but kind of bittersweet. Um, you know, dating is a challenge, mm-hmm. you know, just because, you know, there's only one of two ways to find uh, people to date here in Twin Falls, Idaho, and that's either you go to church or you go to the bar, you know, and mm-hmm. not necessarily uh, into either of those types of women. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a challenge too. Um, but, uh, I mean, overall, you know, I, I'm happy with what I've learned and uh, the experiences that I've went through. Um, 
because I've been able to relate to other people and kind of see the issues um, surrounding Mormon culture as they are and trying to shed light and combat uh, the things that may be harmful towards others. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. No, I definitely don't claim to have the answers by any means. Um, but is there any advice that you might have um, for anyone who is maybe in those early stages of separating from the church? Yeah. Um, I've actually thought of that and I've had to give people advice and really it's just, it's not your fault. Mm. You know, it's not your fault that there are irregularities with every aspect of the church and you're just now learning about them. Mm -hmm. And whether you're uh, in your twenties or you're in high school or shoot, you've been in the church for 40 years and you're now just learning about this stuff. It's not your fault. And you know, while you may be upset, yes, you may feel lied to, um, you know, it's not worth holding on to anger and discontentment um, for an extended a period a period of time. You know, it just comes to a point where it just, I mean, it just eats away at your soul and it's all you can think about and all you can talk about. And there's just more things to life, you know. There's uh, places uh, to see. There's people to meet. There's food to try there's you know so many different things about life that in my opinion would be uh, much more beneficial uh, to spend your time on and so yeah uh, that would kind of be my advice for people going through that well said very well said um well preston it's a little bit over an hour it's getting kind of late in my neck of the woods um, but in yeah. kind of closing, is there anything, um, I haven't asked you, um, that you wanted to, to share? You know, I, I kind of, um, went in this on a whim, not really knowing to what to expect. Uh, I can't think of anything right now, but I'm sure I can, I'll probably think of something in the future and by then it'll probably be too late. So, you know, oh, well, <laughs> yeah. I've definitely enjoyed this. Like, thank you for um, agreeing to do it and, and sharing your story. Um, this will go out in a week, and so I'll send you the link. Um, and I hope it was uh, beneficial for you in some way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, cool. Are you done recording? Um, yeah, I'm about to uh, when we in the call. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. You got something you want to tell me off off air? Um, no, I was gonna ask you. Uh, do you want me to send you any pictures for your Instagram? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. If you have uh, one or two old missionary photos, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I'll send those to you. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to uh, to share this on the internet. So yeah, it's gonna yeah, be fun. Yeah, this was fun, man. Um, it was really nice yeah. meeting you, Preston. And and uh, don't yeah. be a stranger if you ever want to reach out. We'll have to chat some. Cool. All right, take it yeah, easy, man. Yeah, for sure. Bye. All right. Talk to you later. Bye.
You've been listening to a Focal Point podcast for the Focal Point Cinema and Sound Company.